Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. On today's review-only episode of the show, I'll be joined by New Haven Independent reporter Alan Appel to talk about two new movies about young women torn between social expectation and personal ambition who find both distraction and clarity in the art that consumes their lives. Uh, I feel like I, <laughs> I always have to reach a little bit for these comparisons, but... Uh, Way to go, Tom. It's... <laughs> Uh, could you say one more thing? I want to make sure that your mic's on. Yeah, I don't seem to hear myself. Interesting. Okay, let me turn up your, your how's, volume. How's that? Oh, there we go. No, uh, yes, uh, unfortunately. Yes, okay, I hear, perfect. I, I hear that myself. is Alan Appel, the voice of... Alan, thank you for coming on the show. It's, it's, a, it's pleasure. a pleasure to have you back. It's always a pleasure to talk movies with you. Or anything, as a matter of fact. What else should we talk <laughs> about? <laughs> well, we'll do the movie part first, and then maybe a bit of tennis. Arch- tennis and architecture. Tennis and art, that's right. The, the subjects are today. But uh, right. to, to get through, uh, ooh, I have a bit of an intro. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll, I'll pare it down. But the, so The Battle of the Sexes, the latest feature from directors Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, which tells the story of a 1973 tennis match between 29-year-old tennis star Billie Jean King, played by Emma Stone, and aging tennis veteran and self-proclaimed chauvinist pig Bobby Riggs, played by Steve Carell. And the other movie we'll be talking about today is Columbus, the directorial debut of filmmaker Coco Nada. Uh, it's an indie romance featuring a recent high school grad played by Haley Lou Richardson, who's trying to understand just what exactly moves her so much about the many examples of high modernist architecture that exist in her otherwise unassuming small Midwestern town of Columbus, Indiana. Okay, so here's, here's the... I'll make it an abbreviated windup, but at first glance, one might think that the subject matter of one of these movies is a lot more inherently cinematic than that of the other. Battle of the Sexes is, at its core, about sex and sports. What could be more fit for the movies? A young female athlete, Billie Jean King, leads a secession from a misogynistic professional tennis league to start a women's-only tournament, and then is pulled into a one-on-one duel with a man who is the ostentatious embodiment of sexism uh, in order to prove to the world that women deserve to be treated with the same respect, admiration, and pay as their male colleagues. All the while, she's struggling with exploring the social taboo of her own lesbian desire. So sports, sex, two things that are kinetic, dynamic, bound to be a perfect fit for an entertaining picture. On the other hand, with Columbus, we have a movie preoccupied with architecture and waiting. A young woman is waiting for her mom to recover from addiction, waiting for the right job, waiting to decide if she should leave town and go to school, a young man's waiting for his dad to wake up from a coma, waiting to go back to Korea. Amidst such stasis, the two are surrounded by buildings, celebrated as high modernist works of art, but what do they really mean to them, and how can a building help or hurt or soothe or inspire when it just kind of stands there? So, Alan, my question for you is, why did the movie about architecture and waiting prove itself to be so much more thoughtful, immaculately composed, visually dynamic reflection on how people interact with art than Battle of Sexes, which bored me to tears as a clumsy, overwritten, uninspired pass at what it assumes to be important subject matter. Oh, how interesting, because that's right, because uh, uh, I think this is the first time that we, we, we come in looking at two movies and feel precisely the opposite. We could just switch Can you pull the, that mic a bit? Yeah, we could just switch those, um, those descriptors around. You know, I, I, I confess I, I, I felt guilty uh, disliking um, uh, Columbus as much as I did, and I felt guilty liking uh, Battle of the Sexes as much as I did. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, um, I don't know, the, the, uh, the, maybe the short explanation is that I was, um, uh, I, I was 
uh, with Battle of the Sexes, I was really saying, show me what you can do. Um, because after all, we know what happened. This is, you know, your introduction to compare these movies and the, and the struggles of, let's say, two women is wonderful. It would make a wonderful high school English comparison contrast essay. How are they similar and how are they dissimilar? But I, I think how, how the movies, in my mind, uh, you know, were subjected to my liking or disliking is that I, I said to Battle of the Sexes, I know what happened. And in a movie where you know what the end result is, uh, because it's not fiction, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an odd kind of a biopic of a historical gender moment you know, when this, this happened. So the question in my mind is, what are you going to tell me that I don't know already? How, wh- what's the value added here? From and my, how are you going to surprise me in the deliverance? How are you, the going, delivery to, how are you going to surprise right? me in the delivery and tell me something I didn't know or give me a kind of experience I might not have from the documentary? Now, you don't have that with, with, uh, with Columbus, which was a, a, a complete surprise. So I was really open to be taken to a new experience. Um, so let's let's do Battle of the Sexes right, first because I think that. that sounds like the one that you responded more favorably to. And I I should say even though I guiltily guiltily I, guilt, <laughs> interesting. I mean I I don't know if it's I don't know if any enjoyment of any work of art needs to be done guiltily. I think that as long as you have some understanding of why you like it, that's valid enough for me. But for um, well, let's how how did the movie overcome the weight of kind of historic inevitability um, and the the dullness that comes with some biopics where you know the ending. You know the the purpose. Um, you know the historical trajectory of these people. And even for me, I mean, just hinting at what I really didn't like about the movie, you know how that history uh, is written into every single line and every single movement. Where there's not a there's not an ounce of spontaneity. There's not an ounce of, of surprise or or wonder or really engagement because the lines that these characters are feeding you, the hug at the end of someday we will be able to, you know, love who we want to love and people will, you know, people will accept that. Or, um, you know, you have been uh, all this while acting like a male chauvinist pig, but look who's bankrolling you, me, a woman, your wife. There, there's such a, there's such an on-the-nose nature of the construction of the narrative that I think really tied into the worst that biopics offer, which is we know this is a story that inspires in and of itself, and so we're not going to work too hard to make it an inspiring movie. Yeah, no, I a I, bit of a rant. I, I yeah, yeah, that's right. I grant you, I grant you all of that, and I also grant that I think I'm probably a sap for a good guys and bad guys story. And boy, is this is this ever that? Um, and uh, uh, so, um, but a lot of the movies are about that, about heroes and so on and so forth. And I think that um, uh, the value added, you know, g- given that uh, pl- uh, simple pleasure for me, like mea culpa, um, uh, the value added for me was, um, you know, I, I mean, I really, I actually cared a lot about the Emma Stone, Billie Jean King character. And e- when I got over Steve Carell's shtick, uh, because I realized at a certain point that that really was Bobby Riggs, that he was shtick personified. So I mean that was it's a uh, perfect casting, and um, uh, I actually um, think maybe it was a triumph more of the acting that you know the triumphed over uh, you know a very expositionally heavy PC kind of plot. I mean, I I 
you know, I gen genuinely was sort of teary eyed as, as, uh, uh, you know, Billy, Billy Jean was able to, you know, um, you know, accept the love of her hairdresser, uh, the woman hairdresser. And um, I thought that um, I thought that the conversation between uh, Elizabeth Shue's character, Billy, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Riggs's wife, Priscilla, uh, when, when she told him, Billy, you entertain me, you charm me. You're a never ending barrel of laughs, but I need a like a real husband i mean like a grown-up thank you very much i thought that was real so you know you know while it's true that it really connected all the historical dots there was something very um uh, there was something very genuine about the about the struggles of the characters and actually larry king billy jean's uh, husband uh in his his uh, counseling to uh, her newfound love that uh his acceptance of uh his his uh, uh, acknowledgement of her gayness, which is, uh, you know, uh, I think it was very, very carefully uh, and sensitively handled. And, and when he says to her, you know, there's you and there's me, but Billy Jean King is married to tennis. Don't get in the way. I thought that was wonderfully handled. So it, 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 would, it would be sort of um, doing it a disservice to say that it was just a big cliche, because I think it had those emotional moments that had depth. There are a, f- a few moments that you mentioned that I am in 100% agreement with you, where the uh, emotional nature of, of the scene and really the acting of Steve Carell and Emma Stone, and I forget the name of the man who plays Emma Stone's husband, but I, I did think that they were all right. um, wonderful. And it's, a, you know, we spoke earlier this year about a movie called The Founder. I don't know if you remember it, but it was Michael Keaton playing, uh, oh, I don't even remember the guy's name, but the founder of McDonald's, Roy Kroc. Oh, yes. Um, and we talked about how this, right. you know, at least to me, uh, that character was the, uh, maybe one of the first uh, kind of embodiments of Donald Trump on screen in the post-Donald Trump presidency era. Uh, and I think that Steve Carell's Bobby Riggs um, also encapsulates what is so... Um, horrifying and entertaining about the president of the United States in how for Bobby Riggs, it is all, or maybe it's primarily an act. Uh, This, you know, he's interested in the, um, in the showmanship of, he's putting the show back in chauvinism, right? That's, that's his, that's one of the big lines. (laughs) That's one of his, and he walks around with a a sugar daddy. And he has the costumes, right? right? He has all of the girls dolled up alongside him. Would that the president were as, would be as entertaining. Sure. Oh, yeah. And of course, the the um, the actual kind of practical implications of the president's actions are much much more serious than what Bobby Riggs is capable of. But I think that you know one reason you know there are a lot of people who who chuckle at Bobby Riggs' antics, and it's a kind of side door into the type of misogyny that a lot of men are comfortable with, and that the society at large was more comfortable with through humor as opposed to through. Uh, a more like serious, stern, un- unforgiving uh, perspective that maybe we get in some of the other male characters on the periphery of the story. I do think that the movie, um, when you say when you describe it as a good guy, bad guy kind of satisfying drama, I think that the movie is really uncertain as to how to morally judge the Steve Carell character because at the end, I know that we're dealing with biography and history, so there's only so far you can deviate from what actually happens in the real world, but. I feel like the Steve Carell character is completely absolved from whatever sins he commits over the course of the movie. He's he's revealed not just to be a buffoon who's dismissed, but someone who is rather pathetic, but also worthy of our sympathy. And at the very That's end, right. he's someone who's kind of redeemed through his his uh, <laughs> how how pathetic he is. And I thought that that was 
you know, it was touching insofar as I um, felt for the Steve Carell character, but I found it incredibly dissonant with what the movie was trying to do for nine-tenths of its runtime, which was to show the the dangerous buffoonery of what Steve Carell is doing. Yes, maybe he's not the man behind the scenes pulling the strings, like the Bill Pullman character or some of the other men who are more entrenched in positions of leadership uh, in the world of professional tennis, but he is as culpable, and the movie seems to let him off the hook at the end in a way that I found um, very surprising and kind of upsetting considering its overall push for uh, the uplifting of women, but also the punishment and the kind of pushing aside of, of men who are perpetuating the system that does not allow for the respect of women. But I do, I mean, in general, I did, I really like Steve Carell's performance. I thought that his humor, the his humor scenes were too, you know, they were dismissed in montages that, you know, the, it was just, it was like five or six clips together and we see him parading right. out. But then we, we don't get, it wasn't, I don't know, that humor wasn't sustained enough in the context of the character development for me to really care too much about him besides just laugh at these images that are being thrown at me. Well, I, I would just take a little bit issue with, with uh, whether the, the movie absolves him. I mean, it, it, it does show him in, 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 in some sustained stills, which I think were one of the nice things visually about this movie. I love, by the way, when, um, you know, Billie Jean and her entourage of struggling Virginia Slims uh, players were on the highway uh, in San Diego and you saw the palm trees, I mean, there are a number of those exterior scenes that reminded me of like wonderful postcards. They seem to have been based on postcards. But after Billy, uh, after Bobby Riggs loses, um, you know, there's a long sustained scene of his sitting there profoundly dejected. Um, and, um, uh, and, and I think that, um, you know, I think the, the movie does succeed in its own way of, um, of, of showing how symbolically it was important for him to be defeated for him for the issue to be defeated he personifies the issue but it's the it's sort of like the, the you know the triumph of the uh, you know the right way to read gender um and you know as as far as the riggs character goes i i think the donald trump kind of comparisons really really are much more like is it the bill pullman who plays jack kramer the uh yeah uh, yeah those are the guys who are the true donald trumps you, you know um, uh, somebody like Bobby Riggs, ha- he he had a wonderful scene actually in Gamblers Anonymous, where he tries to hustle the ga- the very gamblers in the in Gamblers Anonymous, and he said we're we're hustlers, yeah, but we have an edge. So he he's so, um, and he, he says you're not you don't have a gambling problem, you have a bad gambling. You problem. have a bad <laughs> yeah. He's so over the top, and um, you know, it reminds me of somebody who I knew who, you know, uh, I mean, there are many hustlers who are. And there are many who are narcissistic and they're so charming. You know, Donald Trump is hustling us, but he's not, he's an, and he's a narcissist. But Bobby Riggs is, is, is sort of charming because, you know, he, he, he wouldn't sell you a bill of goods that he wouldn't buy himself on some level. And I think that, re, that redeems mm. him and it may, that may account for the quality that you feel that, you know, he's let off the hook. Can we talk about the filming of, of tennis in this movie a little bit because that was another part of battle of the sexes that i really struggled with and that with a movie about i mean to to have athletics so central to the characters to the story to the overall kind of moral point of it i found the way that the tennis well first we we hardly see any tennis up until the final bout um i mean we get maybe a shot or two of some of the uh, um, 
some of the lesser important tennis matches, but we are constantly told over and over again how great a tennis player Billie Jean King is without really seeing her play tennis for the first you know, hour and 20 minutes of this hour and 30 minute movie. And then we get a very sustained uh, you know, 10 minute scene of the final tennis match between Riggs and Stone. And I don't know if this is a problem with the way that tennis is, is usually um, portrayed on TV or if this is something that is just a result of the relatively unimaginative nature of like visually unimaginative nature of the directors here, but I found the tennis so incredibly dull to watch. Um, it's it's just one shot about like 30 or 40 feet above the heads of the characters. Um, there's very little editing, and the either the characters, either the actors themselves were playing, or or there were athletes who, you know, it's difficult to replicate the virtuosity of an athlete like Billie Jean King, but. I just found the movie just ground to a halt when we were watching the tennis and we were supposed to be, you know, at the edge of our seats thinking, you know, whoever wins this is going to win the battle of the sexes. But it's that you need to find a more visually dynamic way to show how great an athlete this character is or else I'm just not going to, I'm not going to believe it. Right. Right. Well, you know, it, I, I'm thinking as you were describing your, your travails at looking at tennis uh, in the movies, I was thinking there's a famous scene in a Hitchcock film. I don't know, uh, is it suspicion or anyway, there, there are characters at a, te- at a tennis match. I don't know. Does the movie strike? Does that scene strike? Oh, a bell? maybe is it strangers on a train? Uh, uh it's, or I, Oh, it's, it's the of, one of with that uh, era. Farley Granger. Yeah. I think that's a, strangers, strangers on a train. He's a tall tennis player. And yes. See, yeah. Right. And, and famously what Hitchcock does is he just shows the faces of the entire crowd turning left and turning right Right. And he doesn't show the players and the the faces are moving left and right and the, and the ball is going back and forth, which maybe acknowledges what the problem, the problem about how to show tennis Did you effectively ever see, in a film. Um, have you seen Blow Up, the Michelangelo Antonioni movie, yes. 1966? Yes. There's a, a wonderful scene towards the end when a group of mimes play tennis. Now, right. maybe it's easier to film mimes playing tennis because right. there's not actually a ball and rackets, but right. the way that he keeps the camera, I mean, there. I think the problem is that for a movie that is just overwhelming with close-ups, Battle of the Sexes, I mean, the the sex scenes, the intimate scenes, the driving scenes, it's just so close in Emma Stone's face. For the most part, I thought in quite effective way. And then with the tennis, we're so removed from this character that we've been so intimate with otherwise. I, well, well, all right. But it's, I see, I think that, um, I think that one of the problems is that tennis was dull. And Billy, and 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 you don't get you don't get this because you you have no historical perspective. It just takes you back. But in fact, uh, as I was driving somewhere, I I I was an I heard an NPR interview with her tennis double. So they hired a a, a professional player, a, a very talented college player, whose name escapes me, to do her to do Billy Jean's tennis scene. So even when you're watching Billy Jean play, you're not watching Emma Stone. You're watching her double. And so the interviewer said, and, and this and this double, the this college contemporary college player, uh, worked with Billie Jean, and and Billie Jean told her how what her game was, and in fact, the, 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 the there were heavy rackets. They were the sweet spot was very small. They did not hit it hard, and Billie Jean's game was a was a kind of. Um, like a fox's game it was little it was little drop shots and little slices it was not a power game in fact it really wasn't a power game for the men but especially for the women but because of the technology 
So that's the, so. So in fact, what you're watching is slow tennis the way it was in 1972. Mm. The other issue I think with the Emma Stone character is that Billie Jean was, um, uh, she she was physically more um, uh, dominating. She had big shoulders, and I think the Emma Stone character is quite slight, and she's physically not convincing as a as a strong character. Um, in the same way that uh, that Steve Carell's character, uh, he's pretty good at being kind of overweight and out of shape. Yeah, I mean, I think that Emma Stone's, uh, her, physique, her physique or the way that she portrays this character is also, it's meant to straddle the line between what a lot of the uh, uh, kind of male characters in the movie are more tradition, uh, accustomed to seeing in women. You know, she straddles the line between being a, a sexually desirable woman in their minds um, and also perhaps incorporating some of the uh, more masculine or more butch elements of what may be, uh, you know, is meant to kind of visually indicate how she's on the border between a heterosexual and like a homosexual um, desire. And the men are still able to see within her that um, maybe something a bit closer to like Emma Stone as an actress, someone who is kind of uh, unmistakably like a very feminine presence on right, screen. Right, and, um, you, and you hear Howard Cosell actually make that point. If, or one if you of those like took off your glasses and If she took off her glasses like and combed her hair. You know, the bone I would pick with uh, verisimilitude and, and how, you know, how the, you, 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 you had a problem with the tennis. I had a problem with the haircut. I mean, Billie Jean is devoted to her glasses, but how do you give, uh, you know, like a haircut in the, in the scene in which the, the lover... Uh, to be is cutting Billie Jean's hair and she keeps those big thick glasses on. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's not, yeah. I don't know why the glasses are on. I mean, it, to me to undercut the entire, well, I like that. I like the premise of, of that. I mean, I, th- again, I thought that was a somewhat original meet cute scene where yeah. you're falling in love with your barber, like sexually falling in love and romantically falling in love with your hairdresser. Right. And yet the, I mean, this is true for the sex scenes as well. I feel like at moments of intimacy, the camera just kind of like wiggles up and down the, the you know, the character's bodies and face. And, and we lose um, any sense of, uh, I mean, I, I get that we are seeing their emotional reactions on their faces, but it's, it felt like such an amateurish portrayal of two people falling in love. Um, in the way that the tennis also felt like a very amateurish portrayal of what uh, athletic virtuosity should look like. I get that this is a slightly maybe duller or slower tennis than what I would be used to in 2017, but I still think that the filmmakers have to be responsible for how the scene plays out and how we connect to the characters in that scene because it can move at a slower tempo and when we get to Columbus in a second, that's a movie that moves at a very slow tempo. (laughs) And yet I found that I always understood exactly not just who the characters were, but how they were reacting, what they were responding to. Uh, there, there was some, it was a little too much distance in such an emotionally pivotal scene for me in, that, in, in uh, battle of the sexes. Yeah, no, I, no, I, I, I th- this is where I feel a little guilty about watching this thing and enjoying it so much. I, I it, because I, because I remember living, living through it and it was really important. I mean, I think, I think you're right to think about the movie as, as not being quite sure of where, uh, you know, it, where, where it lands. I think it's trying to find some sympathy for 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 Bobby Riggs and the you know the you know the dying world of all these male chauvinists, and I think because Steve Carell is such a lovable actor, I mean That's he's right. such a he's such a delight to watch on screen. He's great right. in this movie. I think that the movie hasn't quite separated the character from who's portraying it in terms of how to 
properly judge him within the context right. of the movie. I mean, the real male chauvinist pigs in this movie are, frankly, I mean, the scene that I found visually most gripping that really conveys, you know, like the heavy hand of, uh, of you know, of, you know, male power in, you know, not paying women enough, not keeping, giving them the opportunities that they, that they've earned is when Howard Cosell uh, is uh, co-hosting the, um, you know, the play-by-play with Rosie Casals. uh, And, you know, Howard Cosell, who who, who, uh, towers over her, has his big, thick hand sort of draped over Rosie Casals' shoulder and sort of pressing her down, pushing her down. And, uh, you know, Howard... That was a a great scene and a great uh, kind of visual communication of the overbearing nature of the men. And the incredible condescension. Right. Yeah. Right. I I mean, because, see, everybody knows that, and and, and Billy Jean says early in the film, he's a buffoon. He, uh, I mean, you know, she has to... In fact, she, she turned him down multiple times, and the only reason she was motivated to, to play him is when, then he, when he beat uh, Margaret Court. Right. And that was sort of interesting. The Margaret Court character is the only professional and her, her kind of equal on the court who has a baby, and she embodies all the um, male chauvinist ideas as, as the as Again, felt by women. I, I found that the, the premise and the dynamic I found quite compelling, but the actual execution of that scene as well, of the match between of Riggs and, uh, what was her name? Um, Margaret Court. Right. Um, just it, it's, it's like we get, we spend all of this time building up who these characters are and what their stakes are in this conflict. And then for the moments of actual interaction, um, they're just completely removed because, uh, either having to rely upon surrogates for playing tennis or not quite knowing how to film tennis in a, in a riveting way. But, it's. It sounds. I. I'm won over a little bit more to to battle the sexes. So, and I don't think you need. I don't think this is a movie worthy of of guilty admiration. I mean, I think it's a little too confident in being on the right side of history. Um, it's it's very easy for a movie in 2017 to come out and say, you know, um, it's it's right. Well, I, I mean, I know that. Yeah, you know, of course, Donald Trump is president, so it's not like uh, we live in a completely equitable time in or in terms of. Uh, pay equity or just relationship between men and women. But I, I do think that this movie could have taken a few more chances. Well, it could. And, and we would be remiss to, to not, to not mention one thing before we move on to um, the, the, the movie about the game of architecture. We'd be remiss not to mention Sarah Silverman's role. Oh, she was wonderful. As the, uh, the, the leader of the pack, the, the kind manager, of bi- the manager yeah. and the business side. And, and, and I think if the, if the movie is, um, uh, if if the movie is flawed in terms of uh, you know what aspects of history it shortchanges, I mean you know Billie Jean King has spoken and written about how arduous it was to set up this alternate league and alternate tour. I mean they had to not only play under you know um, tough circumstances, uh, but they had to learn how to be uh, business people. Uh, and you get you get you get a few instances where she's like a real tough babe in negotiating with Jack Kramer. But, you know, they spent six months, seven months, eight months, you know, just hustling advertising, um, you know, uh, figuring out how to market the tickets. And it's treated by Sarah Silverman with a kind of uh, easy sarcasm, just just pose right and smoke your cigarettes, girls, that I, I thought, um, you know, was more Sarah Silverman than than um, what the history was. And and also, we, I mean, the easy sarcasm, but also a refusal to accept the the nonsense or misogyny of anyone looking to stand in the way of her. Maybe that's part of the easiness, but the, I mean, Silverman has a great way of, um, 
offering very quick comic responses, right? She she knows exactly what to say in just about any given moment. And, right. And, and, and she and, can deliver those barbs. Um, right. And, well. and they even evoke some kind of, uh, even though it's 1970, there's very much the echo of the 1950s in the scene where they enter the men's club, where the right. Jack Kramer and the guys are trying to talk them out of um, uh, out of setting up a separate league, and and uh, of course they're entering a male preserve. They're not even welcome there. And so Sarah Silverman says, "You know, uh, I'm not welcome on on how many grounds? You know, both I'm a woman and <laughs> I'm, I'm also a Jew. Yeah. So yeah, I'm disqualified. And that's both basically terms. our introduction of the character. No, it balances right. well with right. uh, Billy G. King's uh, relative. Uh, she's not. Um, stoic, but she's a much calmer, more controlled presence, and but also equally defined. Um, we only have uh, a minute or two for our <laughs> thoughts oh, on Columbus. Good. Um, so I will <laughs> say that listeners, if you are interested in reading more about why I thought Columbus was so wonderful, you can check out my Friday Flicks column on artspaper.org, uh, which is Lucy Gelman's website for the Arts Council, where I wrote about Columbus a, a few weeks ago. But uh, I'm just I'm going to read just the the three sentence opening paragraph to that review. And I think it kind of embodies what I found so lovely about this indie romance set in kind of middle of nowhere, Indiana. Although looking at, <laughs> I did find out afterwards that Columbus is the birthplace of Mike Pence, vice president Mike Pence. I guess he had to have been born somewhere. It has uh, a, Mike Pence's way of, of communicating has a lot in common with Columbus. <laughs> it's very deliberate, oh, very no. deliberate, deliberate, but there's such thoughtfulness to this movie. <laughs> okay. So sometimes great art requires a little patience to require or to observe, reflect, recognize that what you see at first glance is just that a first impression of the senses. The more time you spend with it, the more it burrows deep within you becoming an object of sensation and thought, a reflection of form and intention. Now, my typical kind of long-winded way of saying how much I like something, but I think that is so true of both uh, this movie's reflection of or portrayal of the architecture that fills this town and also of the character's relationship to this architecture. Um, this is not one of, uh, of great um, activity or dynamism, and yet there is such volatility within the characters themselves. And they're trying to, I mean, this is how, like, fun, this movie is fundamentally about how, how do we relate to art? Do we just rattle off trivia about where it exists in its historical context um, just to demonstrate our knowledge, the fact that we went on a tour once? Or do we have to prioritize our kind of initial emotional connection? Does that provide a necessary foundation for any love of art? Because without that first, why do am I responding to this? The rest of it is secondary, and that's not to dismiss the, you know, entire fields of, of history and art history and and the deep knowledge that goes into understanding um, the history of art. But I found this movie captured so beautifully and succinctly the importance of recognizing, you know, I'm emotionally responding to this thing that I'm looking at right now. And you have to ask yourself why. Because just to let that sit dormant and then to lean on the trivia does a disservice both to your own development and to the arts. That's a very general way because we don't have a lot of time to go into the plot, but that's that's what I found so beautiful about this. Um, it's Yeah, it's specifically about architecture, um, but in the very form of the movie, it's how how do we respond to art and why why does it affect us and why is that important? Did, were you not asking yourselves those questions while watching? Were you well, just snoozing through? Here, let, let me just let me just let me just uh, refute some of these things point by point, if I, if I may, Tom. <laughs> First of all, um, how architecture works and how uh, uh, you know the inside of architecture and how it affects people. 
that might have been the aim of the movie, but I think to say that the buildings have healed me uh, or I've gotten interested in them, and so it's something that makes me appreciate the city that I live in. I mean, it's it's sketching, uh, scratching the very superficial surface of architecture. I don't think the movie succeeds at all in in conveying um, the effect of buildings and the importance of architecture. Um, it tries, but um, but uh, it doesn't. And I, I would make the case apropos of uh, Battle of the Sexes in, in the same way that um, you have a problem with how the essence of the movie is sort of, uh, or the, the, the tennis is not conveyed well. I don't, I, I don't feel that uh, this movie conveys much about architecture except for one iconic uh, view of a building after another or a piece of a building. I mean, the essential thing that absolutely re- really is, is lost here is that architecture is about buildings that human beings live in and walk in and walk through and participate in. And I, so I, I think by, 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 by that measure, it, 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 it does not work very well for me. And my real problem is that this movie makes all the characters extraordinarily dull trying to make the buildings interesting. And that's, and that's not great. And, um, uh, apropos of the plot, um, it, we know what happened with battle of the sexes. The story is laid out there. But the, the, the plot set up in this film, the seams are so visible. You know, he uh, has a problem with uh, staying with his father and accepting his father. She has a problem with leaving her mother. His father it happens to be the, 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 the one who loves the architecture. He doesn't appreciate that. Her mother knows nothing about I mean, the whole thing is just such a... a um, it's so directed to make you think a certain way with the only surprise that I give this movie credit for. Gosh, I sound like a curmudgeon. Uh, no, but, this is, this is great. But I, the only yeah. surprise is that, is that they don't sleep together. The restraint and the movie, the movie is full of restraint and it carries through in uh, you know, Oh, it's also, it's also the way it's, it, if the movie were a building, it would be like both sides are exactly the same because he has a girlfriend that does not working out with, with her she has a boyfriend who's more interested in she the whole thing is the whole thing is architecturally if movie plot and structure is architecture the architecture is boring alan we don't even have to wonder what the movie would look like if it were a building because the movie as incarnated in building as incarnated as a building is in the movie itself and we see this shot over and over again and it is such a beautiful it's like a motif running through the movie and it is i think it's I think it's part of the city hall in downtown Columbus, but it has these two big arching brick wings that with a separation that reach between towards them. the center, but right. there's an absence in the middle. And we don't, yeah. we don't even see the larger context of the building. We just see these two wings and then we see like the deep blue sky above. And I feel like some, sometimes we are presented with that shot, even when the characters aren't even near that. Um, but we know like over and over again, these yeah i i think there's a, a so what's big that difference. mean two characters who are separated i mean it's i think, it's but like, I think there's a difference it's between, like high school english or something <laughs> i think i think there's a difference between um being dull and being patient and i think that this movie falls much more heavily on the latter than the former this is not a talkie movie i agree this is not a movie that has a particularly strong or interesting plot I would agree. I mean, spending too much time thinking about it's almost soap opera ish, thinking about the the 
dad in the coma and the mom recovering from addiction and the script but, and the script is soap opera but, but the thing well the thing is that i love the apps the absences and silences in the script are what make it so powerful for it's me. because the writer the writer and the director are the same person and the and it does not have any i mean when Stop. you when you have a script that where the where the where the the dialogue is shut up how are you how are you shut up you're kidding i've got to go i mean that that's the kind of stuff that you've got to send back for a second draft. Who's Koganata? Why it, it, this is one of those oh, Jerry Lewis moments. I'm, so we've we've got to we've got to end. But if you're interested in watching more Koganata, <laughs> he's made all he's made these beautiful like three minute short videos for the Criterion Collection that are all over the internet that dissect the style of important kind of international filmmakers from Ozu to Bresson, where he just compiles these clips of like a right. hundred different shots of what goes into film style. I'm afraid we really have to do run, but mm. Columbus. What was the movie that we saw that was uh, was it was a fashion designer who directed his first movie? Oh yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. and it was the it was the kind of splashy look of the kind of mise Tom en- Ford, yeah, yeah, Tom Ford. This is a Tom Ford movie. <laughs> All right, Alan, it's great to Thank talk you, to you. Thank you, Tom. Talk to you next week.